Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal One Game at a Time podcast. I'm your host Dylan and on today's episode I'll be talking about how Arsenal somehow survived with 10 men for more than 65 minutes of the game against Liverpool at Anfield. Yes ladies and gents, Arsenal have managed to draw away Anfield in the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final and we're still alive in the tie which is all I wanted pre-game. The scoreline we got was certainly something I did not expect as I couldn't see us keeping a clean sheet away at Anfield. Um, After the game, I saw a tweet by Richard Jolie stating that Arsenal were the first away team since Bayern Munich in February of 2019 to keep a clean sheet against Liverpool with fans in attendance. So credit to the players and the manager for their efforts, even more so because of the pre-match situations and then the in-game scenarios that occurred, like us going down to 10 men. I was really pleased with the fight, team spirit, attitude and determination that we showed to hold up for that more than 65 minutes with just 10 men against a Liverpool side that went very strong, you know, for all their injuries and absences and... uh, you know, they, they had a very strong lineup out there. They had, yes, no, Salah or Mane and Thiago was absent, uh, but they still, they, they went for it. And to still be in the tie is, you know, a very positive thing. And hopefully we can uh, take that into the return leg of the Emirates and uh, get to the final. But uh, before the game, we did hear that Odegaard was out with an injury and Smith, Rowe and Tommy Asu had not recovered from the injuries that forced them to miss the game against Forrest. So our already diminished squad was on its last legs. These were the the pre-match factors which make me even happier with the performance that we put in. Then there was the in-game moments which we were also able to respond to. The first one was... Uh, an enforced change that we had to make in the ninth minute with Chambers coming on for Cedric. Uh, Cedric looked like it hurt his hip in the opening few minutes, but uh, he carried on before going down again and being subbed off. And Chambers, he's a he's a player who hasn't he's he's virtually had no game time this season. I, I believe this was only his fifth game of the season. And let's be honest, like rightly so, because early in the season he had a f- few bad games. Uh, but he was exceptional against Liverpool. Um, I had a quick look at his sofa score, like stats on sofa score after the match, and he won three of his four ground duels and four of his seven aerial duels with eight clearances, two interceptions, and one block to go with it to round off a brilliant performance. Uh, the other obvious big moment in the game, which you know we had to get to at some stage, um, and which means that I'm more than happy with the nil-nil away Anfield is the Granite Xhaka red card. A sentence that's probably been repeated on countless podcasts, blogs, match reviews and the like ever since Granite Xhaka joined us. I mean, how many red cards has he got for us? It's it's just insane. He's already been sent off twice this season. I remember the game against Burnley last season where he cost us. Um, according to Opta Joe, since his debut season for Arsenal in 2016-17, he's been sent off the most times in all comps of any player in the Premier League at a total of five times, which is just... It's appalling, isn't it? Uh, there's probably a Xhaka bingo out there, which includes you know a red card, a big mistake that leads to a goal, 
uh, bossing the midfield and scoring an absolute banger. Because he'll do all those things in a season, but his moments of madness, like we witnessed again at Anfield, hampers us. And it makes so many situations even harder than they need to be. Like going to play Liverpool at Anfield, which is already one of the toughest propositions in world football. But yeah, to onto the red card itself. Robertson played a through ball into Jota and Liverpool really caught us out there because Tierney was so far forward. Gabriel and Holding were sort of just near the halfway line and Xhaka was the only man tracking Jota's run. Uh, ben White was dropping into support, but he was, you know, on the other side. And there was still a bit of distance between Xhaka and Jota and it looked like Xhaka knew he wasn't going to get there ahead of Jota, so... He attempted to get his boot out to the ball, but instead ended up sort of just karate kicking Jota in the stomach, who had uh, managed to chest the ball. And I think on the replay, you could see Xhaka looking at Ramsdale, who had burst off his line. And maybe in that split second, I'm just trying to rationalize or, you know, go into Xhaka's head here, which is probably impossible. But um, maybe in that split moment, he thought, okay, I've got to put my foot out here and clear this because if Jota gets there, he can round the keeper or maybe chip the keeper. But Ben White was one of our defenders who had recovered and made it back into the penalty box. And while I still would probably have expected Jota to score if Xhaka didn't foul him, I think Jota would have ended up having to go past Ben White because that looked like the direction that the ball was going to drop into after he chested it down. Uh, And I know some people see that situation differently, as I saw people on Twitter mentioning that Xhaka stopped a more than likely goal and you know that even though it was a moment of madness and we did go down to 10 men that sending off purely because it stopped the goal helped us to keep it nil nil uh and I can see that but I, I still feel like it was reckless and it was something that you know he didn't have to it was a challenge he didn't have to make but for me there's just no surprises with him anymore really like when I saw the ball go over to Jota I I was just like oh no that's that's Xhaka on Jota there isn't it something bad is going to happen here and lo and behold the kick happened seconds later and he got a red like it was it was just always going to happen wasn't it once you saw Xhaka isolated with an attacker you knew he was going to tug on the shirt or just do something reckless and get himself sent off. And I believe it, it's a red. It's a pretty clear red. I did see some people debating it. I'm not sure how much merit there is in that, to be honest. Uh, I will play devil's advocate, though. I don't want to just come across and present my point of view. And I do think there is credence in the argument that Xhaka's reputation precedes him and referees are just looking to give him a red, you know, any opportunity they get. So any small mistake he he does make where other players may have been given the benefit of the doubt, Xhaka does not get any of that. And I, I do see that being the case in some circumstances, but but I think in this one it, it doesn't necessarily apply. But in terms of why would he have got the red card for this play? So if we think of it in terms of a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity, you could argue, based on the information that I provided earlier, that uh, it wasn't a denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity because 
although Ramsdale had rushed out of goal and was way off his line, White had recovered and was there to, uh, you know, get in the path of or intercept Jota or at least make, you know, Jota's path to goal trickier. You know, so playing devil's advocate and looking at it from that perspective, you could argue that it wasn't a red based on denying clear goal scoring opportunity. And then you'd say, okay, so it was a karate kick, essentially. That's what it looked like. Uh, Perhaps the red is for violent conduct. And... I think the result makes it look worse than it actually was because when you see the replay, Xhaka is looking up at the ball and then I think the only other look he has is to check, like he has a look at Ramsdale, but besides that he's looking up at the ball and then it's it's a hard one. I think whenever you put your leg out like that and just dangle it out there, not being aware of players around you, it's always risky and it's going to be hard to get away with it so for me it it would still be a clear red but I can maybe see the argument again for that but it's not very you know when you when you do something like that you'd expect to be sent off more often than not um and yeah it's not like I mentioned with Jack it's not something that I'm angry about really it's just it's just the same old it's just it's disappointing uh, because, you know, when I evaluate his performances now, I just sort of factor in those mistakes as part of his game. Like, I appreciate his toughness, leadership, the professionalism he shows, his experience, and even his quality that he can deliver at times in the middle of the park. But that rashness is something that is just never going to leave his game. And, you know, if we want to get to that next level, I think we do have to eventually move on from him and get a player who isn't going to cost us in so many big moments. Um, I will add, though, that you know, just because I view that attribute, that rashness as being part of his game, that doesn't mean I won't criticise him. It's just, I don't know, I don't get... You see, you see it on Twitter, people going mad and raging at him, and I don't know, I don't really feel that because I, I guess I've just tempered my expectations with Jacko a long time ago. But yeah, he, he still deserves criticism today because he forced his team to go down to 10 men away from home against a great side, which meant we had to defend for our lives for the majority of the game. And he can be very thankful that his mistake didn't cost us in the match because we were resolute and restricted Liverpool. Uh, I was surprised to see Xhaka apologize on an Instagram post after the game, though, because you know while there are many things about Xhaka we have become accustomed to, apologizing or owning up to errors is not something he does. And look, I'm not one of those fans who believe footballers should come out and apologize every time they make a mistake on the football pitch. Ultimately, they're all humans playing a game, and mistakes are, are part and parcel a football, but I still thought it was interesting he put that apology out there because it seems, you know, a bit out of character. Uh, so I can only think he, you know, he must be, must feel like he really let his teammates down and that is what prompted the post. So f- fair play to him for that. I, I know a lot of fans won't care about, you know, care for this apology because they are just done with Shaq at this point. And also, you know, they're still mad about the whole situation years back with the substitution and him shouting expletives at the fans and not apologizing for that. But I still found it interesting that he is acknowledging this error and the red card now, unfortunately, rules him out of our next two fixtures, which 
uh, means our light squad is is really onto its bare bones now, uh, but we'll get onto that a little later. So uh, after the Jacques era, we brought on Rob Holding for Eddie and Kedia, uh, sacrificing an attacker, and played in a 5-3-1, and, in mani- and we managed to stay pretty compact, similar to how we defended against Man City when we went down to 10 men against them at the Emirates. Liverpool were not creating clear chances, even though they ended up with 78% possession in the game. And the first big chance of the game actually fell to Arsenal. It started when Ben White's chip ball found Lacazette on the halfway line. Uh, Lacazette managed to you know, hold the ball up, passed it to Tierney, who delivered a searching cross into Saka, but Saka's touch was just a little too heavy, and Allison was quick off his line and able to make a crucial block. Uh, obviously, once we went down to 10 men, you know that severely limited what we could do from an offensive standpoint. But there were you know a few glimpses here and there, and Saka, as he has in so many games, did look like the guy that if anything was going to go for us, if anything was going to happen, he was going to be the person that was going to, you know, do it. Uh, He caught out Robertson a couple of times, and he showed his grit and strength on a number of occasions, in addition to his, you know, sheer quality to hold off Liverpool players. Uh, One I remember in the first half when he managed to hold off Schotter and win a free kick after a loose ball from Allison's punch. Uh, He ended up putting a teasing delivery into the box from that free kick, but nobody was home. You know, I think that was actually a decent chance, to be fair, as well. Like, I think... If Lacazette just thrown out his leg, or I don't know, a diving header or something, that could have been, um, you know, it could have been a great chance, but um, it wasn't meant to be. Uh, anyway, when when I saw Saka go down near the end of the game and start favouring his stomach, I was like, oh no, this is it, we're we're done. Like not not only for this game, but I was thinking North London derby. Uh, like if he's out for the reverse leg, or the worst case scenarios was just going through my head even though you know it didn't look like he was in severe pain or anything my mind just thought of the worst case scenario uh and similar to Cedric he he tried to carry on which was positive but then and it looked like he was given a painkiller and played for a bit but he went down in the 80th minute again and had to be subbed off for Tavares I'm really hoping he'll be fine for the North London derby uh if it goes ahead of course which we we will get into a little later in the podcast, and he looked okay at the end of the game on the sideline, to be fair, so it may have just been muscle cramp or something and a precautionary sub ahead of the game against Spurs. Um, Arteta, after the game, said that Saka felt something in the last minute and he's played a lot of minutes, but he's young and recovers pretty quickly, so based on that statement, I'm hopeful that he starts at at the weekend. For all I've spoken about us limiting Liverpool and being defensively resolute, it's not to say that there weren't nervy moments because right at the end especially, there were some really nervous moments. Um, Ramsdale came out to punch Ox's cross but was way off his line and Minamino basically had the goal beckoning. Either side of Ben White, who had smartly taken up a position on the line and it would have been 1-0 to Liverpool, but he blasted it over the bar. And when I say we we limited Liverpool in terms of real chances, the Minamino miss in the 89th minute was actually their first big chance of the game, which is 
again, testament to Arsenal's defence. And that is something, that is quite something, really. Like, I know Liverpool were missing Salah and Mane, two primary sources of their creativity and goals, but they still do have attacking talent out there, and for them to only manufacture their first big chance in the 89th minute, uh, again, like, credit's got to go to Arsenal for that. Uh, another scary moment, though, did come in the 92nd minute where Ramsdale, again, he, he I don't know, he, he just managed to punch the ball before Van Dyke headed it, but, you know, he was dragged way out of position. Like, he, he came out, like, outside of the six-yard box to do that. And uh, the ball ended up in the pathway of, or in the path of Nico Williams, who whipped in, like, a cross-slash-shot. And fortunately, Ben White was able to make the block which was crucial because if he didn't get to it the ball would have made its way to Firmino for a tap-in. Ramsdale did have a few moments today where I was a a little bit worried. He he looked a bit rash and I don't know like I was gonna say overexcited but he, he always does seem to be like I don't know just a player who gets fired up and hyped and overexcited in a way, but usually that doesn't end up with him being reckless in a game, you know what I mean? But in this one, I think that did spill out onto the pitch a little bit. Even in the in the first half, there was a moment where he, he tried to boot the ball forward, but Henderson was right in front of him. And fortunately, you know, it, it, like once it hit Henderson, it didn't go into the goal and Ramsdale was able to recover. We got out of jail on that one. Uh, but yeah, definitely not one of Ramsdale's best games but you know he's been he's been solid for us uh just uh, just something i noticed today which i'm not gonna stop and i'm not hugely concerned about but um i'll be keeping an eye on that but he's been you know one of our best performers performers for the season so can excuse him for having a few off games uh, a player who deserves a lot of praise I, I know i've said that all the players were great today and they deserve a lot of credit bar Xhaka. um but uh one who deserved the Man of the Match award was Ben White, who was just exceptional. Sorry, Benjamin White. Got to give the man his respect by uttering his full name. And, you know, Benjamin just makes him sound more menacing, I think. Uh, but um, I, I digress. But Benjamin White made seven clearances. Okay, now it's just sounding weird. Ben White made seven clearances, blocked three shots, made three interceptions and three tackles, won three of his five duels and had 41 touches he had a monster game defensively but he was also important in playing the ball out from the back and the one big moment we had in the game with the Saka chance he was a crucial part of so yeah there you go Ben White haters you know you guys have been doubting the guy but he's very good and that was a performance that hopefully shuts you guys up and uh, makes you realize that the 50 mil we spent on him is peanuts and the guy's actually worth 100 mil <laughs> but um no nah, I'm, I'm joking obviously but you know that 50 mil investment is looking more and more sound by the day and not looking as silly as some rival fans and even our own fans thought when the move was made uh, i do want to quickly discuss some press conference comments uh, some post-match press conference comments um arteta mentioned in regard to our mentali- mentality and i'm paraphrasing here but you know, essentially when you come to a stadium like Anfield, you're going to find and have difficult moments where you're going to have to suffer and how we approach those moments is key. 
you have to accept that there will be moments where you're not going to play the game you want and then good things are going to happen. And, you know, I'm sure before the game, the players anticipated some of those difficult moments. They probably didn't think it was going to be a red card in the opening 25 minutes, but uh, to respond to that in the way they did, you know, really shows a a strong mentality. And, you know, there was no heads down after the red card, feeling sorry for ourselves. Look, everybody dug deep and worked. And, like, they really worked. I mean, Martinelli looked absolutely shattered after the game, falling to the ground. He was chasing lost causes, running back to help on defense and pressing the entire game. And Ben White in his post-match interview, I felt like you could almost hear the fatigue and tiredness in his voice. Um, he said that it was terrible having to defend like that for so long. And uh, I was going to say, I'm hoping that the performances haven't taken too much out of them, but you know, it looks like it, it has. I'm just really hoping they can get themselves up for the you know the north london derby uh if if it goes ahead again but we'll, we'll get on to that as i mentioned um i've, I've discussed jacker's red card earlier and i'm not going to go into it again the the decision affected how we had to manage the rest of the game and meant that it took more out of our players due to the extra work they had to put in fortunately it didn't cost us today in terms of the result. However, it has cost us in terms of shaving down our already thin squad size. As far as I'm aware, we currently have 12 outfield players available to us. Uh, Ramsdale, Chambers, White, Holding, Gabriel, Tierney, Laconga, Patino, Saka, Martinelli, Lacazette, and Inkedia. I feel like Saka will be fine so that would take us up to 13 which is the minimum outfield number we need for a Premier League fixture to go ahead and then Emil Smith-Rowe and Tommy Asu may make it back also from their injury so we could just about stay afloat and the fixture you know could could go ahead but we really are treading thin ice at the moment and on that sort of border area for a postponement I have seen that we've submitted a formal request to the Premier League to postpone the North London derby and there's been there's been some backlash to that online from fans, mainly rival ones, where they're saying that Arsenal already knew that you know we'd have a light squad around this time of the year due to Afcon absences, and so should have planned ahead for that and not let Balogun and Ainsley Maitland-Niles, for example, go out on loan so early in the window. And I, I understand that argument to be fair, like, but but I think the the Premier League is in a bit of a tough spot to be honest because. They've now set a precedent of allowing fixtures to be postponed in similar cases to ours where maybe there isn't a huge amount of COVID cases, but there's a lot of players absent and they've the Premier League has not been specific about how many players are needed to be out as a result of a COVID outbreak, which has meant teams are including regular injuries, suspensions and AFCON absences as players not able to play when in normal circumstances this is just something that a squad and a team would have to deal with. Uh, apparently Tottenham were annoyed at Arsenal's request for a postponement and I saw Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher speak about how teams should be getting on with it and just playing the youngsters in their side and I agree with them. I think teams are manipulating the 13 outfield player rules to to their advantage and I wonder how long this will sort of continue. 
at the moment, like I think every time a team has applied for a postponement, I think they've been granted it. But for our game, I just have this gut feeling that the Premier League may turn around and say we have to play. I think the talk from journalists and pundits may be putting the Premier League under a bit of pressure to, you know, have a look at the rules that they're setting um, in terms of what will constitute a postponement. Uh, But also, I think surely at some stage the Premier League themselves will just have to do some internal reflection and just look at it and go, how can this go on? Like every week we're just going to have teams constantly requesting a postponement. You know, surely at this stage it's also affecting the integrity of the competition I really do think the Premier League needs to be clearer about the postponements and what constitutes one. And I just, I don't know, I have a feeling that it could start with the Premier League rejecting Arsenal's request for a postponement in the North London derby. Uh, It's not some, you know, insider information I have or anything the Premier League are yet to meet. Um, But I think this has gone on for a few weeks now with a lot of people annoyed a lot of fans frustrated about the postponements and I think the Premier League need to do something about it because otherwise you know, every week virtually we're going to have a team apply for a postponement on the back of missing just key players to their squad that otherwise they would have just had to play the fixture with and you know get on with. Uh, but if, if the game does go ahead and let's say Saka, Smith, Rowe and Tommy Asso are all fit to play, uh, I could see us potentially playing our customary four-two-three-one and go Ramsdale, Tommy Asu at the right back spot, holding and Gabriel in central midfield, and then Tierney at left back, which would it would push out Ben White into central mi- midfield with um, Lakonga as the other midfield partner. And I don't know how I feel about that one. It's like, do I like the sound of Ben White after having? Arguably, like his best game in an Arsenal shirt, being moved out of his preferred position into a place where I believe he's only played a couple of games. No, but yeah, that's how severely limited we are in our options. But then, yeah, ahead of that pivot, I have Martinelli, Smith Rowe, and Saka just behind Lacazette. I don't really see what what other choice we had. We could maybe play a three at the back to match Spurs, but who who knows if you know the fixture. Might not even go ahead, might get postponed, and that, despite what I said there, there's still a possibility it will get postponed, and that could be a blessing in disguise, because while it will mean a fixture pile up later in the season, this game is pivotal for us against a top four rival, and going into the game so undermanned could be a recipe for disaster. Back onto the rumour mill, though, and... Boy, has that mill been turning. I mean, we've been linked heavily to Arthur Mello, a midfielder from Juventus for the last week or so, but the interest interest seems to have intensified in the last few days with the reports suggesting that Arsenal are pushing for the player, but Juventus will only let him go if the club can find a replacement. That's according to Fabrizio Romano. Uh, For me, this loan move seems to be more about getting an extra body in midfield to make it to the end of the season and then go for sort of our primary or marquee targets in the summer window. Like, you know, there's been rumours of a Tielemans or a Ruben Neves. And I think that if that were the case, that would be, that would make sense, I suppose, I think a lot of the central midfielders that we really want, they're just, you know, no team is going to let them go in January. And so we have to uh, look for those sort of loan deals like with Arthur Mello, a player who's maybe not wanted at his current club or is not maybe an integral part of the club. But yeah, I can get behind that. 
that strategy, even though it would be great to get a midfielder target that, you know, we want to get in the summer and bring that, bring that forward six months and get them in the January window that, you know, that, that always seemed a little unlikely. Uh, But if we can get one of like a big player in the summer in that position, like a Tillemans, for example, that would be great business. He will only have a year left on his contract at that stage and he you know, looks like, from all accounts, that he's not going to extend. And so Leicester will want to get a fee for him because otherwise he would just walk for free the following summer window. And if we can get Champions League football, that could be a huge you know, factor to convince him because Leicester, you know, they've had their run the last few seasons where they've got close, haven't made it. And this year, you know, they've through, you know, a lot of injuries, COVID absences, et cetera, et cetera. They're just not the force that they have been. And that, you know, getting that or securing that top four place could be something that could uh, maybe get that deal done. And just thinking about the prospects of a Tielemans parte and Odegaard or Smith Rowe midfield is it's a tantalizing prospect and it could be one of you know up there with one of the best midfields in the league but I'm going to reel that you know optimism and hope in for now and uh, say thank you for listening to the Arsenal One Game at a Time podcast I've been your host Dylan and if you want to keep up to date with the latest news about the podcast please follow at Arsenal OGAT on Twitter and Instagram I'm going away for this week, so I'm a bit devastated I won't be able to watch the North London derby, if it goes ahead, of course, or the second leg against Liverpool live, and I will not be able to record, but when I get back, I will do a longer pod with a look at both the Tottenham game, again, if it goes ahead, and the Liverpool return leg in what is a crucial week for our top four hopes and chances of getting silverware. Come on, you gunners. 